0: my my body hurt so bad at the same time as it felt so great that it's really hard to understand how much just suffering there is from pushing that hard every single day but then there's so much that comes back from the experience of achieving at the same time and super challenging uh, and super rewarding
1: welcome to experiences you should have your how-to guide for amazing experiences And today we're going to be journeying onto the Appalachian Trail, also known as the AT, which for you non-US-based listeners, it is a very long trail on the east coast of the United States. And um, I interviewed Jay Maledsky, who is a world-renowned skydiver, and he completed the Appalachian Trail, uh, which is, that is huge, like it is huge. Now, Jay is not your ordinary guy. He is the most decorated, uh, competitive skydiving canopy pilot in the history of the sport of skydiving to date. He has seven world championship titles. He has over 50 gold medals. This is a goal-oriented guy, which is what you have to be to really complete this trail. And I've always looked up to to Jay. I met him at Skydive Deland years ago. And I am so excited that he could come on the show today. And Jay also hosts a podcast with Melanie Curtis. And Melanie was on Experiences You Should Have a few episodes ago about uh, learning to skydive. So highly recommend listening to that episode. And Jay and Melanie, they host Trust the Journey dot today. And TrustTheJourney.today is all about living, laughing, loving, and learning together, creating and cultivating conscious connections through the practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust. So definitely check them out, TrustTheJourney.today, you can listen to them where you listen to podcasts, or at least definitely on iTunes and Google Podcasts. So check them out. I'll also link to them in the show notes. So I hope you enjoy the interview with Jay. I swear he is so inspiring. And maybe by the end of the episode, you will start planning that big, epic hike that may have been on your bucket list for many years. Hi, Jay. Thanks for joining the show. Hi. Uh, So here we are with Jay Maledsky, and he did something crazy incredible, which is he hiked the Appalachian Trail. Now, this trail is, this is a long trail. I mean, it's over, what, 2,000 miles?
0: It's almost 2,200. Yeah, I think it's 2,170 officially.
1: Yeah. That's huge. The, I mean, like this is a major thing. This is not a Saturday hike. There's not a weekend hike. There's not even a month hike and we're going to be getting at Jay's story on his experience and how you could have the same experience, maybe not the exact same experience, but how you could hike the same trail. So Jay, can you just take me through the journey how did you decide to even do this hike?
0: Well, um, I guess the decision that came to being of like when and why it was, first of all, it was we. Um, the hike uh, was done with my partner, uh, my first wife, Fernanda. At the time, her and I hiked it together. So it was definitely a team effort. I just want to state that first of all. Yeah. Um, we decided that... We wanted to have more outdoor adventure in our lives. Um, we'd been pursuing more and more beautiful scenery and more and more hiking, and just really trying to get some serious time outdoors. And um, at the time, we lived in Florida together, and it, it didn't really offer us um, the kind of adventure that we were looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as I, I had hit a point in my personal career where I'd had enough of my goals met for myself that I really felt like I had checked the boxes personally Mm
1: -hmm. that I
0: wanted to do. And I was kind of looking for a new goal, a a new mission, something challenging and something spiritual, something that would be connected to nature and something that would be earthy. And the Appalachian Trail had been a topic that we had tossed around as an idea of, wouldn't that be fun to do someday? You know, you have those, those ideas and you just kind of banter about them and like, wow, wouldn't that, that, would be cool. Oh, that's an awesome, you hear about somebody who's done it or you hear about somebody who's doing it and the idea floats around and it just comes and goes and it kept coming back and coming back and, you know, the timing just felt right and I proposed the idea. And at the time, uh, Fernanda, she said, yeah, yeah, let's, let's do that, you know, and the enthusiasm was there. So.
1: Wow. Wow. So how long did it take from the time that you decided you were going to do it to f- feed on the trail?
0: About two years. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We definitely took it cautiously because we wanted to complete the trail. We wanted to make sure that once we started, that we had the knowledge, the experience, the equipment, what was necessary to be able to complete the mission. And we knew going into it that the attrition rate is ridiculously high, that very, very few Uh people actually finish it. So... When we made the choice to do it, we stopped. As soon as we decided, yeah, we want to do that, we stopped and said, wait, why do we want to do this? Mm-hmm. started to ask ourselves the, the deeper question of why. And we actually made lists about the reasons why it was important to, to do it. And a lot of them had to do with with completing it, with setting ourselves a goal and making it to that goal. And so with that knowledge of what we truly wanted to accomplish, which was the completion of the through hike all the way through in what's uh, called a purist style Mm -hmm. where you like one direction all the time. um, And you don't miss any of the trail. You don't skip any of the trail. You do it all in one shot kind of thing. Mm -hmm. When we set, when we found that that's where our values were, we knew we needed a lot of time to prepare. So.
1: Got it. Now, In this preparation process, what did you do to prepare during these two years?
0: Uh, First thing we did was arm ourselves with knowledge, uh, Mm -hmm. start researching, look at all the resources that are available online and in print and started reading. And I was fortunate enough to have a friendship to a fellow named Ray Jardine, Mm -hmm. who is kind of like the godfather of through hiking.
1: Wow. He's
0: he's really the guy that kind of put the big kind of flag on the mountaintop for through hiking in as far as the ultralight approach to through hiking. And I met him through skydiving about uh, 19 years ago. Uh, I happened to be jumping in Eloy, Arizona at the time when him and his wife, Jenny, both started skydiving. Yeah. they started their AFF program at Eloy and I think in a the week they had 40 jumps and then by the end of a month they had over 200 and by what? the end of a year he had done 2,000. Damn. So it yeah. says a lot about, you know, they really stuck out because, you know, when you see people that show up and, you know, they just kind of trying something out. They weren't trying it out. They were going on a mission mm-hmm. and they were through hiking skydiving and it was really obvious. Yeah. So. I had that resource, that reference point, and I knew Ray a little bit, mm-hmm. and I knew of his example, and so I le- leaned on his um, set of references that he's got. A bunch of books out about how to make your own gear, how to through hike ultralight, how to be successful, and and I really credit his successes because I know I think I would be accurate to say he's done the AT three times, the C dt with twice and the pct at least three times
1: wow
0: right wow yeah, wow. wow like that I'm
1: is <sighs> yeah so many life goals in multiple trails and then multiple times that's in... yeah. that's incredible
0: so he was my that was my um my hero in in through hiking that i had to look up to and i saw him and met him in real life in his way of carrying himself as far as an athlete and a performance endurance athlete and had a lot of admiration for him. So, and Jenny, of course, because they were a team Mm -hmm. and they did it all together. And so for me um, and for my wife, Fernanda, we really leaned on their example and their reference material. And I reached out to them right away and we started reading their books.
1: So you think it would be a really good idea to have a role model or to be able to consult someone who has done it before?
0: Absolutely. There's so much powerful reference material out there that's going to make or break your, your through hike if you decide to do one. Yeah. And
1: This is fantastic. Now take me to that first day and then take me to like the middle of your trip and then to the end.
0: Okay. So the first day is kind of anxious, right? You you know, you've got the Mm -hmm. kind of jittery nerves and stuff, but it's cold. It's March. It's like, you know, the first week of March in Georgia, the trailhead is just North of Atlanta, about one hour or so North of downtown Atlanta. And it's at a mountain called Springer mountain and about 3,000 people start this trail every year, and the majority of them start from Spr- Springer Mountain between the beginning of March and, say, the end of April. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the big push when everybody heads north. And the, the large majority of people head north I think it's like 80% or something like that mm-hmm. that do a northbound hike because you follow the seasons. You start off in the winter, you move into the spring, and then you finish off in summer. Wow. So we had some friends in Atlanta, um, Annie Drennan dropped us off at the trailhead and we got our, you know, photographs at the trailhead and the sign in the background and that kind of stuff. And, you know, we start toddling up the trail and it's a little weird cause you get out of the parking lot and you don't reach the start of the trail till you get to the top of the mountain. Oh yeah. It's weird. So wow. you're, you think, okay, we're going to start the trail, but really there's like a two or three mile hike up the mountain to get to the peak. And on the <laughs> peak, there's a sign and there's some people, there's nice ladies sitting there with clipboards and they're arrangers and they're, they're taking names and they're keeping count of who has starting the trail and they're wishing you good luck and giving you information and sending you off on your way.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, I think that's really cool that they actually have, Like welcomers to the trail. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What a a great way to start. Right. Right. So you've started on this trail. Now, how many miles are you wanting to hike a, a
0: day? Well, we had planned based on what we had researched and based on our own experience from practicing, doing practice hikes up to this point, to do about eight to 10 miles per day in the beginning Mm -hmm. and with the idea that we would ramp up over time over about a month to six weeks we would go from our starting pace to our true average so our goal was for the first week to not hike more than 10 and to target eight Mm -hmm. And of course that depends on where you're going to camp and kind of where your water sources are and that kind of thing So you have to flex a little bit But we set ourselves a goal of eight for the first week 10 for the next week 12 for the next week and just started upping it One week at a time to aim for an average of about 17 was what we ended up finishing off with when we completed the trail
1: Whoa,
0: I mean that is huge. That is absolutely huge well, that's an average, you know, your big days could be 30. Oh my God.
1: Yeah. And would you just take a day off sometimes just to kick it? So
0: yeah, there's a few um, pieces of lingo that get tossed around on the trail. You pick up a bunch of trail lingo for sure, because there's, there's a certain subculture that exists within the, the AT community. Sure. And some of that lingo is uh, a Nero which is a nearly zero miles hiked in a day. You might hike a mile, something like that. Okay. Other days are called a zero day. And a zero day means there's no trail miles covered that day. Doesn't mean you're not busy running around town, doing laundry, getting groceries, picking up all the things you need. You might be at a hotel or a hospital or somewhere, but if no trail miles are covered, it's a zero.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, And if only a light amount are covered, it's called a Nero. So here's a great money-saving example. You camp one mile outside of town, and then you wake up in the morning, you hike one mile into town, you get into town, you can do all your resupply, you can get showered, you can get cleaned up, you can hit the post office, you can go to everything you need. And if you want, you could hike one mile outside of town that night, and set up camp again. And so you would have only hiked two miles that day, but you did a lot of other stuff in between. So right. it's a very low average day, but it's a very productive day for you know personal needs.
1: Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. Now, how often were you going into towns to do your laundry and that sort of thing?
0: Yeah. So we averaged our our resupplies were mm-hmm. done on average, between three to four days apart. Mm -hmm. Uh, The lowest we would have would be a Mm two-day, very few of those. Mostly it was three to five days somewhere in there would be how often we would be dropping into a town somewhere along the route or uh, Airbnb or a bed and breakfast or any kind of uh, a location where we could pick up a package that we had mailed to us. And that Mm -hmm. had all of our supplies in it
1: got it. Now when you were mailing yourself packages were you picking like a PO box or how were you mailing yourself packages along the way?
0: So the Appalachian Trail has very robust guidebooks available. Mm. You can get guidebooks for all the different states. There are 14 states along the length of the route and each state has a guidebook and in each one of those guidebooks is every single road crossing is every single business to the east and west of the trail on that road Um, every post office location all the information you're going to need to get by without a cell phone it's like what you need is in the book so we pre-planned extensively and prepared 36 resupply packages containing the amount of food that was necessary in each package to get to um Knowing how much distance was between each point, we would stock the package with the right amount of food or supplies.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that
0: was, had to, we had to guess, you know, it's, oh, this is probably say it's 30 miles and it's in the first week. So that's three days. Right. If it's 30 miles in the fourth month, then it's two days, you know? So we had to learn to average everything out and and we had somebody here at our home in Florida, who is mailing the packages for us. And we would text them if we needed to adjust the contents of the package. And they're about one to two weeks ahead of us.
1: Yeah. So where were you sending the packages to? Would you send them to a hotel or a like
0: who would accept the package? Usually we would send them to a post office in a town directly. And you send them to your name at general address uh the post office general address your name please hold for at through hiker on the package and ah. you have to show up with your driver's license and present your driver's license and they'll hold a package there for you for like up to two weeks or so
1: oh wow i yeah, had they- no idea i always thought you had to have a po box somewhere no,
0: anywhere in the country you can mail yourself a package to a post office to your name and you can pick it up with your driver's license
1: that is a great tip i really appreciate that one now, so how long did this hike take you?
0: The hike took us a total of 153 days.
1: Whew. Wow. So take me to the middle of this 153 days. How, how are you feeling? You're a few months in. It's been a long time. You're, you're eating food from these packages. You've met some people. How are you feeling?
0: Well... We felt great. I would say at the halfway point, things were very positive and very energized and really feeling the spring setting in. Mm -hmm. It would have been in Harpers Ferry, West Virginia is the halfway point. It's also the official headquarters of the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. So the halfway point is your second point to stop into their location and they take your photograph and they take your starting date and the date that you arrived at the halfway point and they write down your trail names and they put you into a book and you can see everybody else who's made it to that point is also in that book. So you can kind of keep track of who's been ahead of you that you might have crossed paths with and then people who are coming behind you who you've spent time with on the trail as well will also know that you're ahead of them and you kind of keep this general awareness of how the flock is doing even though it's spread out over some distance
1: mhm yeah. mhm
0: yeah that part of the country is very beautiful lots of beautiful forests and river valleys and it's lush deciduous forest west virginia you know just beautiful hillsides and there's some great places to stay that are very hiker friendly. So there's quite a bit of community at that, of that point. There's a real sense of community. Um, so you get to interact with a lot of other people and there's some great food and drink opportunities. So there's some celebration because you've reached the halfway marker and that's a huge deal. If you've made it halfway, you've made it most of the way. You know, I would say you've probably lost 40% of the people by the halfway point. Oh, wow. At least. Wow. Maybe more. Uh-huh. Maybe more. Than, I, I might be wrong. It's probably more than that. Yeah.
1: Now, I listened to your podcast with Melanie Curtis on Trust the today. You should subscribe today. And you talked about your experience of hiking the Appalachian Trail and there was something really interesting how, how you kind of knew if people were going to make it to the finish line or not based on how they responded to you. Uh, could you Instant, share that?
0: Instantly. Yeah. You could tell instantly. There's an aura. It's an energetic thing, right? When people are in a mind frame of positivity, it's mm-hmm. obvious. You can tell the second that you meet somebody, whether you're on the trail or not whether they are a positively energized person or whether they're a negatively energized person. And there's no, there's no in-between. The char, the electrical charge that exists in this world are either positively charged or negatively charged. And when somebody, when you meet another hiker, the, the banter that goes back and forth is, hey, what's your name? You know, that's the typical thing that you say mm-hmm. to anybody you've met for the first time, or hello, I'm so-and-so. You Introduce yourself. And you exchange names and the very next question is how far are you going Uh, or are you doing the whole thing? Mm -hmm. And you can just instantly tell by the verbs that people choose to describe where or how they're hiking. They say, oh, we'll see how it goes or "Yeah, I'm hoping so. Mm -hmm. They're not going to make it right. Mm -hmm. People say, oh, I'm going all the way. That's a clear answer. They're headed straight for the end. They they directly answered your question with a, a fact of what is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Very different types of approaches to general attitude.
1: Right. I mean, that's a great lesson for everyday life if you want to complete Absolutely. a goal. Absolutely. It's to really go with intention.
0: It's the first piece, you know, because even if you have to kind of Lie to yourself at some points, even if you're having a hard day and it's really Mm -hmm. hard and you feel like crying. If somebody says, how far are you going? You say, I'm going all the way. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You just do it.
1: Now, what was your hardest day on the trail?
0: (sighs) Ooh, I think it's injury. Um, my greatest challenges in life are usually around being injured or weakened, unable to come, uh, unable to perform at the level that I have trained to, or that I've been used to, or I've imagined being at that I'm, that I know I should be able to perform at. So there was, uh, I did have a problem with shin splints, which tend to develop because of the overdevelopment of the calf muscle. Mm -hmm. So When you walk with a pack, especially, and up and down hills a lot for extended period of time, the calves become seriously overdeveloped relative to the shin because you're always pushing off your toe as you step forward. And the shin muscles, they are what control the – so you press down with the calf and the release back the other way is with the is with the shin and the shin muscle is like ah, half an inch around it's tiny and the calf muscles like great, big huge six inches around kind of muscle mm-hmm. so when you go to sleep at night you get calf cramps and it forces your your calf binds up and it points your toes like a ballerina but it tears the the shin muscle in Ooh. and they, they're cramping They're doing nothing so one muscle overpowers the other and it tears them so i got some pretty bad tears in my shins and it made me unable to walk like just mid trail all of a sudden within 20 minutes half an hour an hour i've come to a halt and now I like any step is is falling over type thing and it's like oh i have a serious problem now at first it was just a little pain And you you try to be respectful to that pain. You're like, okay, I'll slow down, take it easier. But when you find yourself two, three steps fall over, two, three steps fall over, you start really worrying if you're going to be able to make it or not. And Mm -hmm. that fear of not completing the goal that we'd set out, that was really the hardest part, not the physical pain, not the, Mm -hmm. it's the mental piece that comes along with, this realization that there's a true possibility that we might fail in our mission because of my in- inability or inadequacy or some self judgment piece that I put upon myself for having an injury. And really it's, it's an injury. I just need to learn how to be more respectful to my body and slow down and be more balanced. You know, the okay. tortoise over the hare kind of thing. Right. Right. Absolutely. That's, that's really what the, what it what it is. And I have to credit um, my wife, Fernanda at the time for um, being the tortoise. Cause I would just bump up against her constantly and she would just walk <laughs> at a steady pace and keep us on pace. And I would, I would easily want to do 30 miles in a day when she'd be like, no 15. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, that's so great that you had a partner there for you that was, working to help keep you on pace and and working together when
0: when you're down for sure i uh you know i did a solo hike a week long in the rocky mountains uh, a year beforehand to train and prepare and to try no sorry two years beforehand i did a solo hike with a lot of the equipment that i thought that i would use and we replaced 90 percent of that equipment i didn't really like solo hiking yeah, I didn't like yeah. it. I, you know, I got three days into the trip and I was kind of bored. I didn't have that connection and sharing and, you know, really being in the mission with somebody. You now I love a, a solo hike, you know, for a few hours or a day. Or I might go. I've done many hikes on mountains alone, mm-hmm. but um, I really felt like the the endurance, the duration time, sharing it with somebody was really really powerful and motivational that like the balance of how to keep yourself going. When you're down, you have somebody else to prop you up. And when they're down, you prop them up. And Mm -hmm. so I don't know if I would have had the willpower to even start it alone. Mm -hmm. You know, I might think about it now, but at the time, I don't know if that's something I would have considered. And I'll, I'll say something else just on that note was we did a hike, so I did a solo two years before. And then one year before we did uh, a week long hike through the Rockies with all the equipment we had then purchased thinking that would be the right stuff to use after I'd got rid of all the stuff I had from two years earlier. Mm -hmm. And we changed all that equipment too. Wow. So we did complete gear swaps, like three sets of equipment before we got to what our final set of our final iteration of equipment was. And in that time we were able to reduce our total pack weight of what we were carrying by 50%, no, by a hundred percent, no, 50%. Cause we had started off with like 40 pounds and we were down to under 20. Whoa. I yeah. mean, that's huge. That it's is a, it's, huge. It's the biggest thing I would say if anybody has any inkling towards the idea of hiking more than a day or two yeah. go ultra light everything and it's not just snap the handle off your toothbrush it's mm-hmm. absolutely everything that you can don't take with you and make everything that you do take be the lightest most functional version of what you really need and why you need it
1: that is great advice as absolutely great advice now tell me about finishing this hike you've been on this journey it's been a long time how are you doing how were your shins how are you mentally
0: so the last month of the trail is in new england right you're going through it finishes in maine On top of a mountain called Katahdin. It's in the northern part of Maine and it's a little over 5,000 foot elevation that peak and so the month that leads up to arriving in Maine at Katahdin is a journey through one of the most beautiful parts of the country and the mountains are becoming more and more remote as you go through Connecticut into Massachusetts and Massachusetts into New Hampshire and New Hampshire into Maine and in Vermont, it's all just getting more and more rugged and more and more pristine and just a really in tune with nature. And at that point, if your body's not, it's already like, at least our experience is that our bodies had reached their, this is as good as it's going to get. Like I felt like I was 16, 18 years old as far as my agility, my speed, my endurance. I just felt fantastic as far as being able to charge all day long and being really light and lean. And we had our systems down. So you're not Dialing anything in anymore, you've got it dialed by that point. It's all efficiency, and the groove that we're in is really positive by that point in time. And you yeah. can see the light at the end of the tunnel, you're like you're in the last 20% in the last month. So, any mission that you're on, although the last 10 can often seem like the, the biggest hurdle to cover on mm-hmm. any project, the mm-hmm. attitude is the most positive. Like we're almost there. We're almost there, you know, yeah. and the way the trails laid out is that the, what is called the, the hundred mile wilderness is right before you reach the Katahdin sun, summit So in that hundred mile wilderness, there's no resupplies. There's no towns. You're just in pure wilderness for a hundred mile stretch. Now that's typically five days if you do 20 miles a day. And you should easily be able to cover 20 miles a day if you've just done the whole trail. Or we, were, right. we were smoking it at that point. And our energy's high. We've um, gotten in sync with a few other hikers that are also near the end of their mission. And they're also in high energy, high enthusiasm. They're in great physical shape. And it's a bit of a yin-yang scenario where you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's, it's coming, you're, you're charged positively, but mentally at the same time you're really beat down. Like yeah. it's a, you're exhausted, you're just smoked. I mean the body, my, my body hurt so bad at the same time as it felt so great that it's really hard yeah. to understand how much just suffering there is from pushing that hard every single day. But then there's so much that comes back from the experience of achieving at the same time and super challenging uh, and super rewarding. So mm-hmm. the 100-mile wilderness, usually people, they recommend take seven days worth of food. And that's a lot of weight to carry. We would rare. We never carried more than five. That's a mm-hmm. lot. Of, we'd, that would put your pack over 30 pounds usually. And we don't want to have that much weight because the weight is what causes the injury. The lighter mm-hmm. your pack is, the more easily you move without causing repetitive stress injury. So I think we planned to do it in five days and we did it in four. Wow. Uh, and it was a piece of cake, honestly. Like we were at the point where doing a 25 mile day, a marathon day was with a pack was like, man, you know, crush it, <laughs> you know, and that's incredible. It was awesome. Um, so. We complete the 100 mile wilderness. We roll into uh, the last highway there, which I think it's Millinocket is where we're coming into, if I remember. And we were like, okay, we're a day ahead of schedule. So what are we going to do? And we said, well, let's take a zero, because we had set ourselves out a goal to complete the trail. Our dream date was 157 days. That's what we had set out as our goal. And our, I think our, our, what we had laid out for um, where we were targeting was something like 165, if I remember. That would be our kind of like, okay, that's okay, but here's our dream. And then 180, 180 plus mm-hmm. if we needed more time. And we rolled mm-hmm. in to, to Millinocket there at like 151, 152. We're like, what? I'm taking a day off we're gonna rest yeah. we went to a nice. We went to a nice bed and breakfast on a lake, and we had double breakfast, double dinner, like two full courses of food on both meals, and we could eat ten thousand calories and you still didn't de- lose weight sure and um we slept in a really comfy bed in a really beautiful place, and swam and rested and and then we camped out the night before at the start of, at the foot of Katahdin, knowing that our intention was to hike the mountain during the nighttime. And we got so lucky that we arrived on a full moon and we were able wow. to start our ascent to the summit at about midnight, 1 a.m. No, I think we're about 1 a.m. We got up at midnight, we started hiking by 1 a.m. And we were the only ones on the trail. It was completely empty. We hiked it in total darkness under the moonlight. And we really didn't even need headlights. And we reached the summit of the mountain right before the sun broke the horizon. And the sky was beautiful pinks and oranges and clouds swirling everywhere. And we rock star finished the mountain so that we had the whole summit to ourselves. And that's incredibly rare. Yeah. Way that summit is is you're going to have lines of people waiting to get to the sign on the top to share the summit moment, and we were able to have the whole entire summit to ourselves for at least an hour, and just share the experience of the sunrise from the peak of Katahdin, and, and take some photos and bask in the success of the mission.
1: That is beautiful.
0: It was. That is. It was.
1: That is. Beautiful. You've been hiking for so long. You're there by yourselves in the moonlight and a sunrise basking in this moment at a goal you worked so hard for. That that is so powerful and encouraging.
0: Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. It was a really special moment to, to create together. I mean, we really intentionally created that. It didn't happen by any form of luck or accident. You know, it was a lot of thoughtfulness. You know, Mm -hmm. when we were in the bed and breakfast the day before, we had known, like, every night the moon has been out, you know? Mm -hmm. We're like, hey, the the moon's out, you know? Let's do this the right way, you know? Let's really champagne cork the bottle and, (laughs) and really sit on top of the mountain and watch the sunrise just be present in that moment you know
1: that is such the most beautiful picture that anyone has just painted in my head on this podcast
0: if you want to see the pictures they're on my facebook you can follow me on j mo on facebook and if you go onto my photos you can see the albums and you can see uh the appalachian trail album has the full photo set and yeah. there's an album called for photos sake and that has my 50, 60 favorite pictures from the trip in it perfect the other perfect like 600 so
1: and and we'll include a, a few on the show notes as well on experiences you should on we can click on episodes we'll have a full write-up of this episode Now, I I do want to get into a few logistics um, yeah. before we end the show. So you mentioned you plan this this epic adventure two years in advance. Would you say that most people will need would need at least two years or so to plan to take off work or quit their job or or to physically train?
0: I think it all depends on what your current level of experience is and what your current level of physical fitness is. I would say that the younger you are and the more fit you are, the more prepared you can, you'll be to, to handle that kind of um, endurance. Um, the younger people tended to do much, much better on the trail than the older okay. people. And the, the older people who were very fit also did well. So a huge piece of it is physical fitness training. And Mm. I'll relate that I have the aspiration to hike the PCT in the future, the Pacific Crest Trail. Yeah, And I don't think I'll do it in a purest sense, the whole thing. I'll probably do it in 1,000 mile chunks and it's 3,000 miles long Um, because I felt like I did feel a wear and tear build up over the time that I didn't really want to repeat. Um, like my feet swelled up so much after about three, four months that it was just took months for them to recover. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to cause that kind of damage. Um, but also going to thinking of for myself, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to go do a through hike again, what am I going to do? I'm going to be in shape. I am going to train and train and train. I'll spend a solid year training to make sure that I am not going to injure myself because I don't want to repeat that injury Mm -hmm. experience. Right. Mm -hmm. The other thing is the more experience you have with backpacking, especially um, multiple overnight backpacking, because it's a very different experience than camping or hiking, Mm -hmm. general hiking or general camping are not the same thing as multi-day backpacking. right. Mm-hmm. So it's really a specialized uh, set of skills that you're going to and a knowledge base that you need to acquire. And so however long that if you already have a good experience set with that, you may be able to, you know, get on the AT as quickly as you want. But if those things are lacking, it, you know, you probably want to train them. I think if you want to be successful. Mm -hmm. In Whatever you set out, set your goals accurate to whatever your fitness and preparedness levels are.
1: Yeah. So what were the key things in your backpack that you felt that contributed to your success?
0: Um, I would say that there's a few. Um, I'll say Cuban fiber, which I think is now called Dyneema which is a material that's waterproof and super light that material as a general, what, what most things were made out of in my backpack was that Cuban fiber Dyneema fabric Uh and as well as titanium and sill nylon. So if I like want to dive into what the pieces are, the pretty much everything was made out of those three things. Uh So that was one of the main elements that, Really made the difference in getting the pack weight down from forty to twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, simple thing as my our tent weighed one pound. okay uh, Your average backpacking tent from your general outdoor store is gonna weigh three, four, five pounds at least. Mm-hmm. So learning how to hunt down the ultra lightweight uh cottage company through hiker supplier kind of items. Mm-hmm. um and then we had a rule if you have something in your pack and you haven't used it in a week it, it's gone mm-hmm. it does not stay in there and we also kept only one set of clothing so wow yes that's wow it's really the only thing that we had duplicates of were socks
1: so you are hiking some days, 25 miles in a day. You've got one set of clothing. Are you just like extremely stinky? Like, yes. where are you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we also had a very religious uh, bathing routine. Some people don't tend to put as much effort towards that, but we were very religious about it because we shared a tent and we walk directly behind each other. <laughs> yeah. Those are real things to think about. Uh, so we had a very religious bathing routine, which doesn't mean you're getting a bath, but you are getting a, 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 you know, a washcloth and a couple drops of soap to clean yourself up every day, every day.
1: Yeah, yeah, every day. And would you sometimes wash your clothes like in a stream and let sure, it dry? Sure thing. Yeah.
0: And we would get rained on, and any opportunity that you could take to clean things. You know, so if it's a beautiful sunny day, I'm going to plunge and I'm going to rinse and clean things off and I'm going to hike soaking wet. It'll be dry in an hour. Yeah. Yeah. You will dry anything because your, your body heat will dry whatever you're wearing, even when it's wet out. Surprising.
1: Now, what was something in your pack that you found maybe that was unexpected that
0: you really enjoyed? Bourbon. <laughs> i'll be straight up is that we did not intend to carry bourbon but about two months in we realized that a small plastic flask was incredibly medicinal and we'd have about a one ounce shot at the end of pretty much every day you yeah know? yeah when you hit you're like setting up as soon as you pull into camp you start setting up tent and getting food going you're like one little shot off that bottle of bourbon. And that just was very medicinal and very, very effective.
1: All right. Now, what is something that you thought you were going to use in your pack that you, you didn't very much?
0: Um, you know, I have an exceptionally good sense of direction. So my compass was in the pack for the first couple of weeks and then it was gone. I did yeah. not, did not need a compass the trail was exceptionally well marked there were very very few times during the entire 5 months and 2200 miles in which we had to stop and really look around to figure out which way we were going we only got uh-huh. off trail accidentally once and uh-huh. it was uh understandable circumstance for how and how that occurred mm-hmm. so my mm-hmm. compass didn't stay in my backpack
1: Okay. All right.
0: Yeah.
1: You had your own compass. And the trail is a compass and too. You
0: learn, you learn there's so many things. Um, you know, just where the sun rises, where the sun sets, which way the wind blows, where the moss is on the trees, which side of the mountain is damp and which side of it's dry. There's lots and lots of things that indicate which way's north, south, east, and west without needing a compass to figure that out.
1: Yeah. Now, what about cost? Did you need to have any permits to be on the trail and and how much would you save to even do this trip?
0: So it doesn't cost anything. There is no permits. There is no, um, you don't have to register. You can just go onto the trail without checking in. It's like mm-hmm. any other, um, you know, public lands that's not mm-hmm. inside of a park. Um, and I do believe in most sections, if it does cross a park anywhere that the thru hikers don't get charged. Cool. Um, the recommended amount of money that it would cost, if I believe from the guidebook, if I recall correctly said between $1,500 and $5,000 per person per month. Okay, I think that that was kind of including equipment and everything that you would plan out. And I think, if I remember correctly, we were somewhere between three and $5,000 per month. That includes your room and board in the hostels that you're staying at. It includes paying for taxis when you need to get a lift or a shuttle. Um, it includes all your food. It includes all your equipment. It's it's everything to cover your total expense of living from initiation to completion. So if you do it on a lean budget i think nowadays cuz it's almost 10 years ago the a 2500 would probably be a good recommended minimum for per month per month and 5000 could very easily be spent without trying too hard you know right especially sure. with hotels and hostels and that stuff it's if you camp all the way through and you don't pay for boarding anywhere you can keep your budget way lower But if you want a bed sometimes and a shower and that kind of creature comforts even once or twice Mm -hmm. a week, then you're going to be paying for that pretty quickly. It's going to add up. Right. Got it. Yeah.
1: Now, this is something I ask on every episode is if the experience can be for someone who may have limited mobility. And I understand someone with limited mobility or someone who might be in a wheelchair, probably can't complete the entire hike but are there areas of the hike that are wheelchair friendly or that are fairly
0: easy yeah there's a couple sections that are incredibly beautiful that are boardwalked um there are some that come to mind immediately which are just stunning and they were actually some of my favorite parts of the trail which were in new jersey you were pick New Jersey as they're like, what were the most beautiful parts of the Appalachian Trail? (laughs) New Jersey. Yes, New Jersey. Yeah, there is some... Jersey. Yeah, there's some beautiful marshlands that are surrounded by hills, rivers winding through it, bridges, and they've got boardwalks all over the place. So there's some excellent trails there. And I believe, if I recall correctly, that Maryland also had a section that was specifically laid out as wheelchair accessible. And if you did go to the Appalachian trail conservancy online and check out that we'll be mapped on there as to which parts are accessible for wheelchairs.
1: Okay, perfect. And I'll make sure to include that in the show notes. Great. Um, Awesome. Now are, are there any other big tips or information that you think the, Perspective AT hiker should know.
0: The AT was laid out by a bunch of crazy people who think that the best way to get from one place to another is to go right up the spine and over the top of every single mountain in the way. Uh huh. So it's a bit of a lunatic endeavor because. Nobody thinks that the best way to get somewhere is to go over the top of every mountain. And it only takes a couple of weeks to figure it out that you're going to be going over every mountain between here and Maine. <laughs> <laughs> so embrace the insanity people. i I did not know that. <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> I wanted to kill the people who laid out the trail. I'm like, why didn't you just go around this mountain? Just go around this. You can go right there. There's an easy way to go right there. And they made it go over. Why did you do that? But if you focus on that, if you let that be the piece, then you're going not gonna do it. You have to be like, yes, we're going over every mountain between two Every single one of them we're gonna climb. <laughs>
1: you know it sounds like an adventure
0: it was a great time
1: an adventure you'll never forget an experience you will never forget
0: definitely and it definitely changes you as a person you're not the same person I mean as in any day of life you're not the same person as you are when you wake up the next day as when you went to bed the night before but you're truly metamorphosizing yourself when you step onto a journey like a through hike where it's a pilgrimage. A pilgrimage doesn't just take you from one place to another on the physical face of the earth. It takes you from one place to another in your person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a journey of growth.
1: That's well said. That's absolutely well said. Well, truly thank you for coming and sharing your journey with, with us here today And uh, we're going to have more information in the show notes on experiencesyoushouldhave.com. And also, I just want to say that, Jay, you are an amazing person. And I love how you look at life, you set your goals, you achieve them, and you grow exponentially through every experience. And if others want to follow along in your journey, I highly recommend listening to trustthejourney.today. Uh, your podcast with Melanie Curtis. It is so inspiring and I I feel like it helps me just kind of keep those goals and and dreams alive.
0: Thank you so much. It's a real honor to be here and, and thank you for inviting me.
1: Yeah. Anytime, anytime. Thank you for sharing your experience and we will put all the links and information on the show notes and check out photos on Instagram on Experiences Podcast. Uh, Thank you again for joining. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Experiences You Should Have. If you enjoyed this episode, the biggest thing that you can do is, first off, make sure you are subscribed to the show and that you keep on listening. And two, tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your coworkers. I mean, announce it on social media. If you gained anything from this, just the biggest thing is to share it with somebody. I love listeners and I keep on to finding amazing guests. And if you want to be on the show, please drop a line on experiencesyoushouldhave.com. Just click contact. And Share with me that experience that can be replicated that you would want to share with others. I would love to explore that with you. I'm always looking for interesting people and experiences to to have around the world. So please hit me up. Also, if you're on Instagram, check us out at Experiences Podcast. We'll promote each episode on there and new experiences that we have around the world. And, and like you know, this podcast is not just to discover new experiences. It's to find out how to really make them happen, what type of skills are needed, the cost, um, the planning involved, the best time to do it, and hopefully give you a start to that how-to guide to do these amazing experiences in life. Thank you, and until next time.